The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. It is Saturday night, my friends. Good evening to you. Another week under our belt. Market has been much better, I must say, in the last couple of weeks. This week included. Inflation coming down a little bit. A little more, in fact, than expected. The market liked that. Uh, I tell you, during call it a bear market rally, call it what you want. Uh, I always think about people who exited the market uh, at the wrong time. What are they doing now? Watch the market rise. Very challenging. And, and, and actually, something that we do not advise clients to do. Uh, sure, you can trim a little bit during the you know, market cycles, but to, to, to go all in, all out, don't do it. It, it. it is way too difficult. And in fact, my experience has been when people try to do that, as we always discourage them from doing it, but every now and then, hey, it's their money. They get to do what they want with it. When they, when they get out, they don't come back in. And if they ultimately come back in, of course, they end up coming back in at higher prices, not lower prices. And you have to think about it. Uh, if you're exiting the market because it's making you feel uncomfortable, uh, the trend is probably in the short term pointing lower. Uh, you exit. It usually proves to be correct for a few days. Uh, it continues to go lower. You feel smart. And then the market turns. You get a, you get a data point that comes out that shifts the market in the called a pivot in the opposite direction, which is what we have received uh, most recently with the inflation data coming in weaker. Then the market starts to rally, and now it rallies above the level you sold and continues to move in that direction. Get caught by, by at the higher point, watch it roll over, leave again, call getting whipsawed, watch it go higher and don't come back into the market. A pickle you put yourself into. Better off to do what Jack and I suggest all along by quality companies and think long-term. Uh, part of long-term thinking right here, right now, is it's all about new themes, new years, new beginnings, new decades, and looking for the long trade that has legs to it, a secular move. Uh, ESG, anyone? Environmental, social, governance. Every analyst report I'm reading right now, every single company is talking about their ESG policy. Friends at home, you probably are not that familiar with the ESG theme, but in the business world, it matters. Uh, it matters for a number of different reasons. And again, as a reminder, uh, there is now a global mandate to have the planet carbon neutral, uh, zero carbon by 2050 in 30 years. They want to have to be producing zero. I find that hard to believe. I don't think we're going to hit the target, but I'm delighted that we have a goal. And uh, when you have a goal, then you can measure direction towards that goal. Uh, Nick Blittersweet, uh, excuse me, Blittersweet, uh, CEO of Urban Green Energy, uh, now called UGE, Canadian company uh, in the solar space. Nick's been a frequent guest on Hi Fire Radio. Uh, very timely to uh, bring you back on the show, uh, Nick Blittersweet. I, I do appreciate you joining us. Uh, President Joe Biden just signed uh, a bill that is going to put a lot of incentives towards green energy, solar specific. Uh, very, very important bill that was signed. I want you to please speak about some of the details about that bill, uh, its its impact on your industry and why it's going to help your industry and how it's going to help your industry. And then, B, I want to party that back up here in Canada. So what what are we doing here in Canada uh, to to get on the uh, secular trend of decarbonization? 
Yeah, I know. Thanks so much for having us on. And uh, it's been a very exciting couple weeks for industry here in the U.S. Um, the Inflation Reduction Act uh, is the bill that you just referenced there. Um, largest climate bill in history, uh, you know, U.S. or any country around the world. Um, and really, you know, the U.S., the way they incentivize and, and push industries like solar and EVs and so on forward is really through tax policy. Uh, and the main driver that they have is this thing called the investment tax credit. So this was actually originally introduced by George Bush uh, almost 20 years ago uh, when he was president. Um, and it was extended under Obama and, and Trump, too, if you can believe it. Um, but it had declined a little bit over the years and was kind of outdated in terms of what it referenced. So what this bill does, first and foremost, is it takes that tax credit, which was going to be um, – 22% next year, 10% the year after, uh, and it changes that to 30%. So right off the top, we have a 10-year, 30% extension. So you can just imagine what that does. And, you know, in essence, long story short, you know, if uh, to use round numbers here, let's say you're building a, a $10 million project, that 30% means you get $3 million back in a tax credit right off the top. Um, the other, like, as you peel off the layers, you, what you find is there's a whole bunch of other little nuggets of good uh, incentive within this bill, too. Like, for example, um, a lot of the projects we do, they benefit low and moderate income communities. There's a way to bump that 30% up as high as 50% um, by supporting those types of communities. Um, you know, a, a stock that I know you guys follow, First Solar, there's a lot of incentives for domestic manufacturing of solar panels, racking, inverters, um, you know, other types of modern technology here. Uh, as well. So, you know, we're really excited. Um, this bill, by the way, was uh, designed to decrease emissions by at least 40% by 2030. You know, just that's another eight years at this point. So, you know, um, obviously, uh, uh, this sector is near and dear to my heart, but that, that decarbonization goal by 2050 is something that I really feel is attainable and we're, we're, we're really working hard towards here. Um, another company that Jack and I are watching, and please, I'm curious, I, I know you know uh, a lot about a lot of different companies, a company called Fluence Energy, basically a, a battery storage company, uh, acting real well, uh, analyst uh, seems to like the name. Uh, are you familiar with Fluence Energy, and, and, and if so, how does that tie in to this bill uh, and into the world of solar? Yeah, great question. So, you know, solar is like the, the first thing that pops into my mind, but actually battery storage, as an example, um, great time to be looking at those types of companies. And the, the main reason that investment tax credit didn't used to apply to battery storage projects with a, you know, a strike of a pen. Now it does. So if you're, oh. you're building battery storage projects, yeah, minimum 30% tax credit you get. Um, Fluence, I'll say that the company I know of, I can't say I'm intimately familiar with, but um, the amount of battery storage that's going to be getting built here over the next decade and beyond is, is exciting. A you know, little plug, a little shameless plug for ourselves. That's an area that we've been getting into more as well partnering with companies like Fluent to deploy battery systems, whether with our solar projects or uh, as a standalone project as well. Well, again, the, the world of alternative energy and, and specifically even solar, the ecosystem is just vast. Uh, and again, I'm coming across all these businesses that have tentacles uh, that, that all connect with one another and phase energy. Uh, again, there's a company I'm sure you have some familiarity with, uh, bouncing, so bouncing your electricity either from the grid or to the grid. It's a two-way it's a two-way uh, highway now, uh, correct? 
Yeah, you know, Enphase is, um, it, it's been an incredible story the last five years or so. Um, that uh, I was on a panel middle of last decade sometime with, uh, with, the, with the co-founder of Enphase, uh, and I want to say that was a 10 or $20 million market cap company at the time, but they really wow. focused on being the, yeah, they, they focused on being, you know, the leading inverter company first in the residential space. What I think is actually being missed by, by the market is that, I actually think they will overtake Tesla on the on the residential battery storage side. They they um they really made huge strides. So I, yeah, that's a definitely a company that I hold myself and I'm excited about. Oh, very good, very good, um, Jack. Uh, welcome to the show, my friend. You build the show for us here. It's uh, good to have you on as well. Um, <laughs> Thanks, almost Jack. Let's talk tax credits. I know that seems to get your hair standing up. Uh, what's your take on the on the bill that uh, President uh, Joe Biden put into place? Well, first question I'd have for Nick, and thanks, Wolf, uh, would be, has the bill actually been passed? Because I thought it was uh, brought forth by the Senate, still has to be approved by the House and then signed off by the president. So is, is that complete or is it still in the process? Yeah, so um, uh, you know, we're reporting the show on Thursday. The Senate's passed it. Uh, Friday um, is when the House is going to pass it, so t- tomorrow. And the expectation is that Biden will then sign that into law. He's, he's certainly very supportive of it. So I think it's mostly a question of, uh, of timing here, but all the pieces are in place for it. That's good. And then in terms of tax credits, I've already seen the EU has come out uh, and they're, they're, I guess, going to the WTO claiming that there's some discriminatory um, legislation being passed with the uh, Inflation Redemption Act. So is that a big concern with the fact that uh, maybe there's some protectionism around this space right now, especially if we get a little bit fragmented between the EU, U.S., even Canada? Yeah, I think um, in the IRA specifically, and actually it's specific to Canada as well, um, there is uh, like some domestic content requirements and things like that within the bill. Uh, I think this is also on the EV side of this bill. And Canada and and Mexico as well, uh, for that matter, under NAFTA here, they're both exempt from those requirements. So I think there's good reason that within North America, people can can, can sleep easy at night. there isn't too much concern within the industry right now about Europe, for example. Um, I'll say that this industry, we call it uh, lovingly the, the solar coaster, because uh, as long as I've been in it, you know, it's been sort of the, uh, the left and right uh, and so on um, in terms of tariff policy and things like that. But I think actually stepping back for a moment, you know, Solar panel manufacturing, and I referenced earlier, there's all these incentives within this bill to promote uh, increasing supply chains within the U.S. here. For for as long as I can remember, the U.S. government had taken a real stick approach, putting tariffs on the import of this equipment from Asia in particular. But under this bill, what they're doing is they're shifting to a carrot approach. They're saying, hey, you manufacture in the U.S., we're going to give you a certain percentage, a meaningful percentage of your hard cost in order to make it competitive here in the U.S. So a long-winded way of saying that um, we really see this as alleviating some of those past concerns. That's smart. Uh, this shows Hi-Fi Radio, my friends. Uh, Nick Lutus-Lease joining us, uh, solar expert, I shall say, CEO of Urban Green Energy, uh, a.k.a. UGE. Uh, Going to take a quick break, get right back to the show about money. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. 
You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. about money hi-fi radio each and every saturday right here on 640 toronto i am wolfgang klein portfolio manager yes we help about 300 canadian families manage wealth if you have any questions for us please never hesitate jack and i love speaking with you send us a note uh, wolfgangkline.com the wolf on baystreet.com we're easy to find and we will get back to you any question you have and anything anything about money uh, you know, and, and, and the topic is broad. Uh, you know, there's financial planning, there's tax, there is, of course, longevity risk, there is inheritance, a lot of moving parts. We get involved in helping you with all those moving parts and simplify the process. Yes, simplicity is a beautiful thing. And it's how, well, it's how Warren Buffett seems to build his wealth, I shall say. Indeed. We're talking about uh, green right now, solar. Nick Littesweek, he's the uh, CEO of a solar company uh, out of Canada, uh, doing the bulk of his business, mind you, in the United States. The company is called Urban Green Energy, a.k.a. UGE. The, my good friend, I want to talk about here in Canada, here in downtown Toronto. Um, when are we going to see more solar panels installed? Uh, tell me about the economics today. They have greatly improved due to Moore's Law, where the technology continues to get uh, stronger, better, faster, uh, at a relatively rapid pace. Uh, I want to see more panels. I want to see more green as well. Where are we at as a country and as a city? Yeah, for sure. So um, on, uh, yeah, I think in terms of the economics, first and foremost, of solar, you know, like you said, Moore's Law, et cetera, economies of scale have just really driven down the price of solar over the last several years here. So that's been uh, super exciting. You know, where it's at right now, obviously it varies based on, on where you are, but it's something that um, is, is, is immediately economic under, under most like financing scenarios. I mean, that's what we do is we, 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 we develop and build out and finance these, uh, these larger scale systems. Um, for homeowners, um, you know, I think you're typically seeing paybacks anywhere from uh, a few years in some markets within the U.S. to maybe more like 10 to 12 in, in some markets in Canada. Um, I think in, in terms of like Canada specifically, you know, Ontario, if we remember, um, up until 2018, Ontario had real, really been a leader in promoting renewable energy and incentivizing it. Some would say maybe maybe too much. Uh, maybe maybe too much was spent on it. And I think that was the political hot button that was at play when uh, uh, Doug Ford was elected in 2018 and really ended all of those programs. And that really put a dent in the Ontario market. But I'm certainly seeing signs of that picking back up. Um, across the country, you're seeing markets actually like Alberta. You know, obviously Alberta, we think about fossil fuels, but Alberta, in, in in many ways, I think is the leading province for solar these days. And there's been a good amount of solar built out, and lots more to come there. Um, I think just in terms of Toronto, so at a high level, what we do is if you think about all the companies in office towers, the people in apartments, etc. You know, it's hard for those people to install solar themselves. So what we say is like, okay, let us install a centralized 
this project, and then you're going to buy the credits from that uh, from that project and use it to offset your energy bill. And we call that community solar, um, and that's actually the fastest growing segment in the U.S. Hasn't totally caught on in Canada yet, although Nova Scotia has a pilot program, so we're hoping it'll catch on in Canada too. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Uh, it's just quite encouraging when you see. I was at a wedding uh, just off the 400 uh, in and around Orangeville area, I guess it was. And it was, it was a farm. Uh, I think it was just a, a more pasture. Uh, but just as you drove in, you said there, there was a, a panel, a solar panel. And it looked like it, it pivoted uh, so that it could follow the sun a little better. I'm not sure what the dimensions of it were. Let me guesstimate maybe 20 by 15. Um, I'm not sure. So, okay, so you, you could probably get, a, get an idea of what I'm referring to, something like 20 by 15. Uh, what would that cost to install? What's your guesstimation? And something of that size, how much power can it produce? Yeah, so rough guesstimations, I would say a 20 by 15, we're probably talking about enough power to offset a house or at least come pretty close to it. Uh, and nowadays, you know, um, we're probably talking about all-in before incentives, maybe something in, let's say, the twenty-five dollars to $30,000 type of range. And um, so if you think about your energy bills, like that would wow. offset the vast majority of your energy bills. And, of course, like you and I both know, there's a lot of assumptions at play there. But, but, uh, but yeah. Well, no, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about, Nick, because we, we have an old family bush lot. Um, and when, you're, when you don't live uh, in the rural area, I believe Ontario Hydro charges you a premium because you're not a resident. And so the delivery charge alone for my power up in, in Minden is, is ridiculous. Uh, and, and so for the little use that we, we put on the grid with our cottage, we we're rarely there, our, our annual bill is quite significant. We have excess space. I'm just curious well, you know, what it would cost to put a, a little solar panel there. But the problem, of course, is we can't store that power. So how do we actually then take that and, and, and generate some revenue to offset against our expense? And my second question is, how long would that installation be good for before it begins to deteriorate and not become economical? Yeah, so um, uh, number one, number one in terms of the um, – uh, in, in terms of, well, maybe in reverse order, the one really good thing about solar technology is that it lasts a very long time. Um, and so from that perspective, you could literally put that in. And, you know, as long as you own that house, it's probably going to produce pretty good energy for you. Um, you know, maybe, you know, 20 years down the road, you want to upgrade it or what have you. But um, but it's a pretty long serving. You know, it's there's no moving parts or anything, right? So it lasts a long time. Um, the storage side of things, you know, we touched on this in the first segment a little bit. But the battery storage side has really entered the hockey stick side of the, the growth curve here in the last year or two. Um, and you see, like, residential storage attachment rates, uh, what we call it, like when you attach storage with your solar system, really increasing. And, and so, you know, Enphase has been one of the leading players in that. Tesla is a name, of course, that we all know. Um, and so that would really help out in a situation like that. But then lastly is there is um, – Net metering is something that's in law in most provinces, most states these days, which in essence means you produce a little bit too much energy, it goes into the grid, and you get credits to pull that energy back at a later date. Um, so I, I say uh, go get that solar for your cottage. I think, uh, I think you'll do well with it. Uh, Nick, an absolute uh, insightful conversation, and, 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 and I think a very, very promising technology and sector. Uh, I think some $25 trillion uh, has been estimated uh, to be required to get the planet to a zero carbon position. And internationally, money is being moving in that direction, so it's worthy of note, fellow investors. Uh, Nick Ablitterswick, uh, CEO of Urban Green Energy. 
an absolute pleasure. We're going to take a quick break, get over to Sandy McIntyre, former strategist uh, with CI Financial, just a good friend of Jack and I's, and still like speaking with Warren Buffett. It's a real pleasure and privilege to spend time with this man. He's retired, and he's giving us his time. Friends, grab yourself a quick drink. Get back to us in about three minutes. Hi-Fi Radio 640 Toronto. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Some loving had me a blast. Hope to put a smile on your face and a tear in your eye, Olivia Newton John. I'll miss her. May she rest in peace. Indeed. Uh, Hi Fi Radio is the show. I am Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, my partner. Uh, we are both portfolio managers, and we're always looking to uh, sharpen our skills, uh, continuously learn and move forward and adapt and remain flexible, yet committed to core values. Uh, you know, when I met this gentleman named Sandy McIntyre uh, at multiple presentations, um, every time he spoke, at some point in the conversation, he'd use this phrase, uh, it is all part of the, in fact, it slipped my tongue. Uh, Sandy, what is it? Not the house recipe. The house style. Well, it was house style. style. The house style. The house style. Sandy McIntyre, you're uh, my good friend. Thank you for joining us. A real pleasure and honor to be able to spend some time with you this evening. How are you, sir? Very good, thank you. Um, enjoying uh, summer in Oakville and up at the cottage uh, and being very patient with my money. Uh, well, so what do you see? To talk to us, what's, what's going on in your, in, in, from your lens in, in, in the stock, bond, equity markets, global markets, etc.? Um, we're in an inflationary spike. Uh, we've never had a oil price shock of this magnitude that hasn't resulted in an economic slowdown, and we're seeing evidence of economic slowdown. Um, we know that Europe um, has an energy supply issue due to the war in Ukraine, and it, it's going to be a tough winter for the UK and Europe. Um, so I'm, I'm being somewhat cautious. Uh, I don't think the U.S. is in a recession. Um, certainly the employment numbers uh, don't suggest it. So, uh, you know, I, I'm staying with what I've invested in. I'm not panicking out of positions, uh, but I'm not adding to positions at this point either. Um, I was reminded uh, when I was uh, fiddling through my library the other day of an article that I read in from Barron's that was written in the 1920s. Um, it was uh, written by a Boston Investment Council by the name of Van Strum and titled Invest in Purchasing Power. Um, what it was talking about was invest in companies that have pricing power and invest in companies that if they don't have pricing power 
can increase volumes. So I'll use the investment industry as an example. Um, I worked in the mutual fund business for a long time, and we lost pricing power. Um, We had to increase volumes as our fee revenues as a percentage of assets declined due to competition, new alternatives coming into the marketplace. Not necessarily better alternatives, but people who were putting pressure on pricing power. Look at your portfolios and adapt over time and make sure that the businesses that you're invested in can either increase volumes or have an ability to increase prices to match inflation. Very simple, very brilliant. Um, Without question, Jack and I speak about moats. When you buy a business with a moat around it, invariably that business has pricing power. Uh, very, very wise, very, very wise. Um, Sandy, the bond market, and again, friends at home, I want you to stay with the conversation. It might get a little cumbersome and dry for you, but it's been very, very important. I want Sandy's opinion on this. The bond market is telling me something uh, indicative of either it is fighting the Fed uh, or the bond market, once again, is right, as it is a larger market relative to the equity market. But 10-year interest rates, otherwise known as 10-year yields, have fallen. So inflation spiked. The, the, the central banks are cranking up short-term interest rates. I'm talking 30-day interest rates, overnight lending rates, they call it. Um, but the, the, the long bond, the, the 10-year bond, and even the 30-year bond has actually gone lower. It popped up a little bit this week, not much. So what clues are you getting from the bond market? And my second question is, is the bond market right or wrong, in your opinion, having yields fall? Um, this, uh, my prime indicator for the bond market is to go to a website called the Investment Companies Institute and look at their statistics. What it gives is weekly flows into fixed income and equity ETFs and mutual funds, and the flows tell me where pricing's going. Uh, Really, since the financial crisis in 08, the flows into fixed income have been far in excess of uh, the flows into equities. And typically um, in positive territory with very few months of negative flows. Um, You had uh, Q3 2018, you had Q1 2020, and you had uh, Q2 uh, 2022 um, with negative flows. The flows have turned positive again. And um, I think what you're seeing is people are valuing the perception of safety more highly than taking on risk to achieve growth. Um, I was not of a view that you were going to get a blowout in yields. and I'm still not of that view. And I'm still of the view that while the inflation issue is not transitory, it's not being correctly priced by the bond market due to this perception of safety over growth. You know, um, Mr. Reynolds, uh, he used to be one of our credit analysts at Canaccord. He's not with us anymore. It was Brian Reynolds, wasn't it, Jack? Um, yeah, I'm referring to. Uh, let me ask you this, because I think if he was on this call with us right now, and again, friends at home, please stay with me. I, I know it's going to get a little heavy for you, but it's important, and I, I have to pick Sandy's brain on this, on this question. Um, 
was uh, the, the, the bond market is being supported by pension assets. And as interest rates fell, pension assets to meet their hurdle rates of return of rate of return objectives, call it 7%, had to basically begin using a leverage because you can't make 7% on a 3% bond. So they had to buy three or four of those bonds, lever, lever up three or four times to get the yield required. Uh, could that perhaps be why the flows increased into fixed income? Because, in fact, if interest rates fell, causing increased leverage in the space? Where this um, carry trade uh, leverage stops working is when you get a flattening of the yield curve, where short rates yep. are equal to or greater than the 10-year rate. Um, and the bond market is clearly telling you they do not expect the Federal Reserve to get to a point where they've increased short rates so that they are flat to or greater than longer-term rates. Um, they're absolutely convinced that this doesn't occur in Europe, and they're absolutely convinced this doesn't occur in the UK. Um, I don't think the Fed tightens to kill the cycle. Um, my view is that the energy shock has been sufficient for them to slow down and eventually pause the rate of increase in short-term rates. You know, common sense would tell me, because we have been living in a almost deflationary environment for two decades. And I think we, we can thank uh, the flattening of the planet due to technology, Walmart, China, et cetera, offshoring manufacturing, cheap, 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 make it cheap. And that's what the world received, which is very disinflationary. Um, I, I can't see the world going from 2% or 1% inflation for two decades to all of a sudden 8% inflation as a permanent uh, inflation number it just doesn't make sense. And we finally saw some reprieve uh, in the numbers. So I want to throw on the table, Sandy, um, you know, 8.5% inflation coming down from 9.1. What do you think the inflation reading, and again, year over year changes what inflation reading is all about, um, 12 months from now, what do you think the inflation print will read? Um, you, you have to have a relatively benign call on non-core. Um, that's primarily housing costs. They're coming down. Uh, excess inventory in the States. We don't have excess inventory in Canada. Um, you have to look at the volatile segments, food and energy. Um, which direction are they going? Uh, Hard to make a call on energy, um, but the supply chain is changing. Um, there's a large number of LNG tankers being built on order, uh, facilities being expanded to bring liquefied natural gas into Europe and kick Russia out. Um, it takes time for the supply chain to change. Is it changed a year from now? I think it's changed to a certain degree. Um, behavior changes. Uh, you're no longer retiring nuclear plants in Europe. Uh, you're restarting dirty coal plants. Uh, this is a temporary solution to a, a, a energy supply shock. Um, on the food side, um, and we talked about this last time I was on, uh, Russia, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan are between 20 and 25% of global wheat supply. 
and you've taken Ukraine out, well, Kazakhstan's exports would also go through um, the Black Sea into the Med, and they're going through contested waters. Um, We've had a supply shock in the food chain that shows up when we go to our local supermarket, um, but it's showing up much more severely in the third world, particularly Africa, which is not self-sufficient in food. I'm not sure that this food supply shock is solved in a year. So I can't get down to a two-handle where the Fed wants it to go. Um, It's probably a four-handle or a three-handle. But more importantly, um, what is wage inflation doing? And um, the Fed watches this very closely. Uh, I think that you're going to find that pricing power of labor um, is pretty sticky until you get a higher participation rate of labor. And the participation rate um, is going to have to come from individuals in their 50s and 60s because the youth is actually pretty well employed. Um, well, we're talking, sorry, sorry, Sandy, we, let's get to a quick break. Uh, I want to stick yeah. on this conversation. It's very important stuff that you're sharing with us. Uh, each and every one of us wants to see our wages increase. So Sandy's going to give us a direction of uh, labor prices. My friend, that, that is the price you are worth. Uh, stay tuned. Hi-Fi Radio each and every Saturday. I'm Wolfgang Klein, Portfolio Manager. Please, any questions, go to our website, WolfgangKlein.com. Uh, we're going to help you build wealth in a slow, steady, comfortable manner. Quick break, get right back to Sandy McIntyre, Jack Hartle, and myself. Stay tuned. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. murdered by his own son, according to the New York Post. What is this world coming to? Uh, great band in the, well, Gordon Lewis, rest in peace. Two in one week. To, you know, what, what, what saddens me is when individuals work so hard all their life and they, you know, they, they, they work and they save and they, they worry. I say, I repeat, they worry. Then they enter retirement and six to 18 months later, they pass away. And, well, you know, leaving the money behind is one thing. You know, they could have enjoyed it, but you don't know. But it's the constant worrying for what? For what? 95% of the things you, my friend at home, and myself included, that we worry about never come to fruition. We've got to stop worrying. Because it gets us in trouble. 
it gets us in trouble when you worry because you do the wrong thing at the wrong time. And again, I'm just referring to call it a bear market rally. We'll ask Sandy McIntyre what he thinks it is as he's uh, on the line here with us. But uh, when, when you worry, you eventually do the wrong thing at the wrong time only to get whipsawed and see whatever it was your position then go the other way, i.e. higher. Uh, again, when, when the market turns, it turns fast and furiously. So, Sandy, semantics before you get back into labor inflation. Uh, is this a bear market rally? Do you think the lows are in? What's your opinion, um, technically speaking, fundamentally speaking? I put out a post um, in late June that I thought I had seen a selling climax and uh, likely likely the lows were were posted. Um, The typical behavior in a bear market is you will bounce off the lows um, and it's a very sharp bounce, usually on short covering. And um, your first pause is at what's called the 50-day moving average. That's the average price for the S&P 500 over the previous 50 days. We pause there, and then we pop through. Um, The next sort of goalpost in my watch is a sell-off that comes down and tests support at the 50-day moving average. Seasonally, August into September is one of the weakest periods of the year. I don't know why, but it is. Um, You typically have three bad months there. September's the worst. February's the second worst. And May is the third worst. And again, I have no idea why these. Actually, I need to tell you, you know, a a fellow who I think is probably about your age, Don Velo. Do you know Don Velo? No, I don't know him, but I've heard him. Yeah, I met him at one of the big banks when we worked together. He's frequently on High Fire Radio, Tech Talk. He writes, he's a seasonal investor. I asked him the same question. Why is September week month? He said, earnings revisions. Analysts come back from vacation. They see that the last quarter wasn't as strong as they hoped for. They don't want to look silly, so they take their numbers down. And that causes heightened volatility. So, anyways, we don't know for sure if that's the reason, but it, it's, I think it's a good enough excuse. Earnings revisions. Uh, anyways, I digress. Hey, let's pivot over, if we may, Sandy. Uh, yeah, we, I know September is, is a weak month. You know, the retest of the low is is, is probable. Um, getting cute well, around. Let's, let, let, let's, let's, let's go for a retest of the 50-day moving average. If that holds, then the low is in. Well, the 50-day moving average on the S&P 500, my friends, is 39.50 approximately, and the S&P 500 right now is 42 and a quarter. That means the market could fall to get to the 50-day. This wouldn't surprise me, but fall another five or six percent. Uh, would I try to trade that? No hope in well heaven uh, to try to trade that one. No, nope, wouldn't do it. I just leave it alone. You have to accept. Call it five percent of downside because if it holds, Sandy, if the if that 50-day holds, technically speaking. Uh, the bear market is over. The market has potential then to rally into next year. How do you feel about next year? Again, I do want to get on that inflation conversation, but uh, the third year of a presidential cycle coming out of the midterms, how do you feel about next year? Um, it's very rare to have two bad years in a row. So I'd be relatively optimistic. Um, my view is let's just get through September and October and then look forward. Um, Jack said to me the other day, and it was funny that he said it, just how he said it. I grinned a little. Jack's a tough guy, very, you know, stoic man. Uh, He said, well, 
I'm really nervous about September. <laughs> I'm starting to laugh. <laughs> we'll be okay, Jack. We'll get through it. Hey, Sandy, let's pivot over briefly to um, uh, to uh, uh, inflation once again and uh, employment and wages. Uh, you know, I, I do want the average person to keep up with rising prices. That's part of, you know, slowing inflation down. So I think the average person can have a hope to keep up. Uh, do you feel optimistic that, you know, uh, wage wages stick and, the, and, and, and employees have a chance to keep up and get a raise enough to keep up with the cost of living? Um, it's very difficult to keep up with the cost of living. So you, you, what you do is you adapt what, what you're actually purchasing. So we see miles traveled go down. We see people vacationing closer to home, Change, changing spending patterns in order to uh, make their income stretch. I'm actually relatively positive on wages, given the number of signs that I see everywhere we are hiring or apologizing for poor surface levels because of lack of staffing. The jobs are out there. Uh, it's just a matter of getting to a point where people take the, take the jobs. Uh, Andy McIntyre, retired strategist. I think uh, they're playing the Academy uh, music on me here. I'm going to have to wrap it up. I, I can't thank you enough for your time. And again, uh, my advice to people, you know, if you want to try to save some money uh, and you're not good at cooking, learn to cook. I made myself uh, some pizza this week. I didn't want to go shop for food. When you make pizza, you use scrap food that otherwise ends up in the recycling bin a few days down the road. A couple of mushrooms, half a green pepper, a bit of leftover cheese, grab some flour, some yeast. A couple hours later, I make my own pizza. It didn't cost me a dime. And boy, was it hot. Indeed, it was. So, you know something? Pizza is life, as I learned in Italy. And when there's pizza, there's hope. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. All right? That's what Sandy McIntyre is here for. He's gone through a few bear markets. So Jack and I, they come, they go, as do recessions. Recessions come, they go, and we move on. Uh, Jack, great job setting up the guests as always. Friends at home, any questions for Jack or I, WolfgangKlein.com. Sandy, once again, thank you for the update. I really, really appreciate your insight. Uh, you're, 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 you're a great friend indeed. You are my uh, pal. Have a good weekend, everyone. We'll speak with you next Saturday right here on 640 in Toronto. Tell your friends about Hi-Fi Radio. WolfgangKlein.com. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.